Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Bohm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 109, and my guest this week is Sarah Taylor from the band Youth Code. This conversation was well overdue. Sarah and I go back super far, as you'll hear in this conversation. We've known each other since we were teenagers, which is crazy. And uh, it was just the right opportunity. It was the right time. So I want to throw out there that Youth Code will be opening for My Chemical Romance on their upcoming shows uh, starting, I think, this week. Uh, September, yeah, September 30th, they're going to be in Denver. Uh, October 2nd in Portland, Oregon, October 7th in Las Vegas, and then October 11th in Los Angeles. Also want to throw out there that in 2021, they released a collaboration album with King Yosef called A Skeleton Key in the Doors of Depression. In case you missed that, you should check it out because it's super good. Um, and I want to throw out there also, if you if this is your first time listening to the show, I want to let you know that most episodes, about 95%, have a bonus episode which is available right now, where Sarah answered questions that were submitted by subscribers, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to subscribe to the show. Uh, You can subscribe for as little as three bucks a month and get access to bonus material, bonus episodes, bonus radio hours. I do a radio show. There's a Discord channel, all sorts of stuff. Just head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon to see What's all happening over there? Uh, I leave for tour in like two weeks, two weeks or so, which is crazy. But don't worry. As I've said before, the show is going to keep going. Got a lot of episodes recorded. So don't you worry about that. Um, And if you're following the Patreon, one more thing, I'm going to be doing a tour journal like I usually do, keeping everyone updated with with, uh, how the tours are going and what's going on. Uh, Touche Amore will be supporting Coheed and Cambria and Thrice in Europe and the UK. And then we fly straight to the East Coast to support the Menzingers on a full U.S. tour uh, with them and Screaming Females. It's going to be a lot of fun. So busy, uh, busy bunch of weeks ahead. Um, And hey, listen, if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening to this, please do so. Uh, Leaving a positive rating and review, as everyone asks, always on these shows, um, it means a lot and it would help. So, yeah, if you got a second and you wouldn't mind, I'd, uh, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, Without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Taylor. 
What's up, Sarah? So good to see you. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing okay. We uh, we're both we're both recovering from our own fun fun ailments, but we're getting through it. You know, I feel like <laughs> yeah, that's very just... <laughs> well, very well is kind of like like I sound like shit because I definitely just got through with like a hellscape of blowing green shit out of my face for five days straight, but. Uh, yeah, I'm on the men, so I think I'm doing well now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I when preparing this, especially with people that I obviously know uh, pretty well, um, there's sometimes certain questions that pop in my head where I'm like, actually, I don't know if I know that. Like, for instance, I don't know. Are you actually born and raised in LA? I'm absolutely an Angelino, my guy. Yeah, I figured as much. I figured as much. What part of LA? Well, when you and I, when you and I like first met, I think I was only like fifteen, maybe fifteen years old, maybe sixteen. Yeah, I mean, I, both, I would have been the same age. Yeah, we both like kind of came up uh, in the Sunset Strip, if you will, in like yeah. a very weird glory days of new metal. But yeah, I grew up. Uh, I grew up on the West Side, like. Um, if you're familiar with like where Beverly High is at all, okay. Like if you're going towards Century City on like Olympic or Santa Monica or whatever, yeah, uh, or not Olympic Santa Monica, but if you're going towards Century City and you take Olympic up, there used to be this big oil tower. It's not there anymore, thankfully. Uh, but there used to be this big oil tower, and my mom still lives across the street from it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um. So I grew up. On the west side of LA, we lived in Hawaii for five years, which was like a weird little stint. Um, when how I was, old were you? How old were you during that? Seven to twelve, like okay. honestly, sort of wildly formative years because I was, you know, like taken away from like this wonderful city and and basically dropped onto an island where nobody had similar interests or anything of that nature, and I kind of just had to like learn to to. I don't know, like be a, a person, I guess. I like really got into things around that time of my life because sure. there weren't very many. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a fucked up place, right? Like, like the mainland United States stole Hawaii and like basically fucked over anybody there. So like they hate people that look like me, which is completely understandable. Like, you know, uh, so being into like rocker music and shit like that, like I was shut down. Like I was told like fuck off all the time. And um, you strike I mean, you strike me as someone uh very similar to me in the sense that like you I'm assuming you got into music and and fell in love with music pretty early on. Um yeah. the first question I usually ask musicians, uh, because this is a good segue to that is uh do you remember the first time you connected with something musically that maybe wasn't being played in the house, but something that like felt like it was yours, like something maybe you discovered on your own or uh, perked your ear when you were a kid. I mean, I completely changed as a human being because of Beavis and Butthead. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I would say that Beavis and Butthead is like a, like a pivotal block of who I am as a human being because you had this show where like, you know, your parents are definitely telling you, don't watch this show. It's fucked up. Right. But yeah. then interspersed with these two like dumb kids is like all of these insanely, like all over the place snippets of nineties music videos, like 
you know, I got into Morbid Angel. I got into Danzig. I got into like Cotton Eye Joe by Rednecks. You know what I mean? Like there's <laughs> yeah. so much, like it's just music presented right in front of you with commentary from people who are funny when you're young uh, yeah. of saying like something sucks or something rules. So I feel like once I discovered Beavis and Butthead, it was like a portal opened in my totally. brain. And I was like, I love and it wasn't just the stuff that Beavis and Blood had thought was cool. Like I also found myself liking the stuff that they thought sucked as well. Like right. and there's plenty of songs that I'll hear and I'll be like, oh my God, I haven't heard this in like 25, 26 years, something like that. Maybe even longer, like 30 years I haven't heard this song and I know all the lyrics instantly because like I watched it on Beavis and Butthead. Totally. It's funny too. I rem like there's certain songs that whenever they pop in my head or whenever they randomly, you know, show up in my life, I more so connect them to Beavis and Butthead watching it than anything yeah. else. Like that, Absolutely. Ween, that Ween song, Push a Little Daisies or whatever, instantly takes, <laughs> <laughs> instantly takes me to Beavis and Butthead. It, that's how Morbid Angel does. Like when they, when they, when they watch a Morbid Angel music video, instead of hearing David Vincent, I hear Butthead go, like that's like how i hear it from now on yeah or i forget which pantera music video but it always just makes me laugh when when uh i feel like beavis uh starts going off talking about uh or, or calling phil and selmo pantera like that as if it's his first name it's like damn it yeah pantera. his name is pantera for sure <laughs> damn it pantera take out the garbage don't disrespect your mother <laughs> My other favorite one is Funk That by Sagat X, I think his name was. But uh -huh. Funk That, Beavis's commentary on Funk That is like my favorite. Like, uh, why do they call it taking a crap when you're not really taking it anywhere? Come on, man. Funk That. And like, it's just stuck in my brain. It lives there. Like, like doing like the 90s hack comedian sort of bit. That's awesome. It's so shitty. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Um. That's a, I mean, and that's such an era specific thing too. I mean, that specific era of, of MTV was just so special for the connecting tissue with music. I mean, so I still say like my all time favorite show of all time is the state. The, the, oh, the state is incredible. Yeah. It's incredible. And then like you had shows like it's come up on this <laughs> show a few times, but like MTV oddities, that was like a weird show where MTV like MTV oddities, were, but, but like bands would perform on that. I remember like local H and like all those sorts of, bands like randomly played at the end of this weird kind of talk show yeah. uh, that happened i yeah. like really got into a lot of the like weird electronica stuff because i have this like so there's beavis and butthead which like completely warps everything and then like my dad's favorite like what i remember my dad's favorite band was i don't know if he would still say that it was his favorite band but i have this connecting thing where Depeche Mode was my dad's favorite band. So my mom and dad get divorced, right? And I'm super resentful. I'm very young. I don't really understand the concept of like what's going on. And all I know is that my dad is like the cool guy and we live super far away from my dad. So I was super into Depeche Mode at a very young age, but also like, you know, Beavis and Buddy comes along and I'm starting to get into stuff like Metallica and, and, and metal and things of that nature. And I remember... There was a program, I think it was a little bit later, maybe when I was like 10 or 11, and it was called MTV Amp, and it was on Super Super Late at Night, and it was all electronica, and I remember like 
saving up and getting the CD for MTV Amp and like being exposed to stuff like Atari Teenage Riot, Josh Wink, Orbital, like all that stuff. That's when I really felt like I had come into Apex Twin was on that. I'd come into my own of things that were even too weird for my friends. Like things that like really resonated with me that I was like, this is like, this speaks to me in a way that nothing else does, you know, and it doesn't even have any lyrics or anything to it. It's just for some reason, I'm like absolutely entranced by every single different type of thing. Like it's Depeche Mode, but it's also like aggressive in the way that Metallica is or like, you know, it's the same thing with like how I really fell into like getting into goth industrial stuff like i loved marilyn manson as a kid so much and so there's this element of like spooky dark electronica but also the heavy metal element of it and i was like what uh you know it was game over completely game over yeah and also we're we're talking about the era where if you were already attracted to heavy music and then you found that stuff you were also getting fed these soundtracks that were combining mm-hmm. the two, like the Spawn soundtrack, which I was had, just about to say the Spawn soundtrack, Corn yeah. and the Dust Brothers on it. Like, yeah, it, it Slayer, was a, Atari Teenage Riot, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Slayer, Atari Teenage Riot. There was also Manson and the Sneaker Pimps. Right. Yeah. Like, it yeah. was, there was a lot. Like, I think the premise of the Spawn soundtrack was like meshing electronica with metal Metal. so to speak yeah basically doing what the judgment night soundtrack did early on with like rap and and metal with Mm -hmm. yeah with like dance and metal it was it was super interesting some of those some of those songs were pretty good some of them not so good some of them some stuff holds up and some does not (laughs) but i also think that like my ears are different ears than they were when i was of course that young like yeah. my ears when I think all of us, like we go through this phase of like, but it, it it's weird for me to say that because I've gone back to things that I like loved as like a teenager that I had like a falling out with for a little bit, like in my, you know, twenties and stuff, I wasn't like when I was a teenager, I think that you and I have this like shared love for Deadsy. Like I was obsessed, obsessed with Deadsy. And like throughout my twenties, I think I was like, "No, nah, I'm cool off all that." And like then I went back and listened to it, and I was like, "Oh, this bangs, dude. This bangs." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still in there. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. That's that's one of those things that it's also a band that's hard to have a lot of conversations with people about because it's such a specific time and place band. Yeah, if you were in LA around like the year two thousand and one. And especially like on the Sunset Strip, like you either, it was like a secret club that you were in. Like I had friends that I only had because we were all Dead Z fans and we felt like we were a part of this like cool, like it hasn't broke yet. Like it's not big yet. Like we get this. Yeah. Were you at that, that Roxy show? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that might've even been like, I saw them at the whiskey as well. Yeah. Uh, I saw them at the Roxy and I saw them at the whiskey. I remember by that time, I think they were at the whiskey. I think they had like a lot of production with them, but I can't remember. Like, I mean, even incredibly. I mean, even that Roxy show, I remember their stage set up looked like a miniature golf course and it had like yeah, all yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like pretty. Like the pretty flags in the background and shit. Yeah. It's weird yeah. to think about that because now that like, you know, both of us are like, 
musicians that have to deal with like production stuff and things like that. Like when you're advancing a tour or whatever. And I can't think of anybody who like really gives enough of a fuck to set up a stage as small, like a 500 cap room, like the Roxy, like you called in a production manager to set up your mini golf course with flags and like different lighting for a 500 cap room. Like that's a lot, you know? Yeah. I mean that, I think that was there. I mean, so I, 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 I don't know if you, I forget if we talked about it, but like I had Elijah on the show and he said that, that like, that was maybe their third show, but I think that was their first all ages show, which is interesting because they had played the Viper room or something like that for like industry types and whatever. But uh, yeah, fascinating, fascinating career, that band. Uh, What, well, this is a good segue. Then what was your first concert? You know, like I feel like my first I can't remember what came first. And they're there. One is like super legendary. And one is like so fucking embarrassing, but I can't remember whether I went to family values 98 first. Cause my mom was like a helicopter parent. Like she was like, you don't get to go like, blah, blah, blah. like you don't get to do this. I can't remember if it was family values 98 or I think that it might've been Goldfinger at the whiskey. Maybe. I can't remember. I know that I saw both of those shows when I was 13 years old in 1998, which is like yeah. a testament to like being in the 90s and like you can like ska and metal and totally. like all this difference. Like it's all like under the same umbrella of shit. Yeah. It was one of those two shows. Okay. But I think, I think it might have been Goldfinger actually. That's like the first show, show. But I can't, it's weird because I went to like weird little like, my mom had this very strange thing where like, if it was someone that she trusted, I was allowed to go to weird things like bomb records. My mom knew Greg from Bob. And so I was allowed to go to a bomb showcase when I was really young, but I don't have any recollection of any of the bands. I just remember I tried to be vegetarian. I brought home a pita pamphlet. My mom told me she would ground me if I didn't eat her food. So like there went that out the yeah. window, which is so fucking dumb, but whatever. I, I guess I understand it now. Um, but I can't that those two are like the first that resonate to me. And I feel like I went to that Goldfinger show and like no disrespect whatsoever. Cause I obviously went to the gig, but I feel like I walked in and I was like, Oh, this is not what, this is like, what this I thought is it not. was. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, like, I feel like, I had a preconceived notion about what was going to happen here. And it definitely isn't any of this. And I have to leave. Like, I think yeah. I watched them play Superman and I was like, I don't like trumpets live. Like I have to leave. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I had, I remember because what's exactly what you're talking about where like, especially that era, you're not, uh, you don't feel like you like belong to a tribe yet. So you're just like, Oh, I just like, you know anything that's like maybe maybe vaguely punk or vaguely mm-hmm. whatever so i mem- i had that album that had mabel on it a mabel and yeah, yeah, yeah. uh she's the bottom the other- dude yeah i forgot the other song uh, but anyway here in your bedroom i think here in your bedroom thank you thank you yeah see we can put this all together once you and i get talking uh but yeah, yeah like i definitely had that cd the same time i was listening to corn so yeah it 100%. just percent it's uh, like that late 90s like sort of you're on 14 for internet if your parents like like have the internet at the house right and you have no no idea about what is cool what is uncool 
Like you're just kind of listening, like your brain is soup. You're just sort of putting all these different ingredients in and then being like, I, you know, actually I don't fuck with trumpets. Get that one out of there. Like, (laughs) Oh, I do like synthesizers. Keep that one in there. Like I do like rap (laughs) in the form of like, metal music oh yeah keep that one in there like there's so many different things at that point in your life where like you just use you know you don't know that you're being somebody that is like now in this day and age like you asked me to go to a ska show like it is 100 not happening but <laughs> yeah. like in the late 90s i was like oh yeah sure like, to i'll go it. to this show yeah it's a show was because I was just, I just talked about the Family Values Tour on, on an episode. Was the, 98 was the first one, right? That would have been like Ice Cube, Limp Bizkit, Ramstein, right? Ramstein, Orgy, Limp Bizkit, Corn, Ice Cube. And I That's won right. tickets on K-Rock. Oh, no way. I was in the corn cage at 13 oh years God. old. <laughs> solid, solid, solid experience. Walk me through, walk me through. Like beginning now, to okay, end I, of this whole well, thing is fucking crazy. If you're like, if we're really being honest, like I, like if I was my mom and I heard this shit that I was saying to win these tickets on the radio, I would have just, I would have been like, you're not going to that. I'm checking you into a, like you're getting 5150 bro. Like yeah. <laughs> it's a wrap. They were asking me what is the craziest thing. So I, I used to, call k-rock to win tickets compulsively like all the time it didn't matter what it was i was like i want to go i want to win i want to win yeah so i got thrown the line to family values 98 tickets and they were like what's the craziest thing that you would do for these tickets i was like i'll fucking kill my i wouldn't say fuck but i was like i'll kill my mom i'll kill my sister i'll kill my dad i'm crazy you know like i was really like full (laughs) new persona and they were like oh ease up little lady like you got these tickets and i was like yeah like screaming losing my mind my mom makes me take her friend Shelly, who was in like a riot girl band. Okay. Uh, and, because I was 13, like I needed sure. a supervisor. So we get to the forum. I'm like electrifyingly, like I'm so pumped. I'm probably wearing like, I'm probably wearing like Jinkos at this point in time. Of course. I'm definitely wearing a Ringer corn t shirt. Uh, and I only know that fact because there's a picture of, Borland and I from that night where I took a picture with him now that I'm friends with him as an adult I do this thing every year on his birthday I post this photo and I go thanks for being my friend since I was 13 and he gets bummed because he's like I haven't been your friend since you were 13 don't tell people I was friends with a 13 year old and I was like hey I thank you for being my friend bud Uh, (laughs) but yeah I like got to the show watching Orgy super pumped watching Rammstein my brain incredible they were incredible blown blown yeah Yeah. i had never you know like my to this uh, day i don't know if i've like between them them at family values and then uh rob zombie at like the next corn like those two shows like production wise and everything like that I, i i don't know that i've still seen anything that sick yeah i don't think that there is much better in the way of production than rammstein just in general like yeah you want to like that band? I I love their music, but they're a band that speaks all German, and their riffs are basically KMFDM riffs, right? You want to get an entire like audience of people that don't speak German into your band? Blow everything up! Yeah, shoot fire everywhere. Shoot fire! 
fuck your keyboard player on stage with a strap on and then shoot, shoot come into the audience. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny too. You're 13. <laughs> I was also 13 or 14 at that time. Just getting oh, dude, I've never this. seen anything like it. Yeah, I'm like watching this dude and I was like, oh my God, what is he doing? And at this point in time, we're like on the side, like uh, we're being pulled into this like area where we're supposed to wait. I think, oh no, I was, I didn't get pulled into the area where we're supposed to wait until Limp Bizkit. So okay. like I watched that, I watched a bit of Ice Cube and I think WC came out with him. Dub C came Dub out C, with him. Yeah. That was fucking sick. Uh, like, yeah, it was just like my brain was melted. Like I was like, I've never seen it. What is he doing? You know, like I'm 13, right? Like yeah. my concept of this sort of stuff is like, oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's so like shook. So then they corral us into this like waiting area, and I'm like standing there backstage, and I'm like, oh my god, like there's Jonathan Davis, you know, like yeah. everybody who I like had cut out circus magazine posters of and like put on my wall as like you're the sickest, like every issue of metal edge that had a different promo photo of like corn and limp Bizkit and like every ibanez ad that orgy had every calvin klein ad like this is like you like everybody's me, back you're taking right? me back so hard between I circus am. magazine <laughs> and like hit parader like just going to hit pavilions. Parader, metal edge like yeah i would go dude, to pavilions just go- and just like and just like because I couldn't, aff- I couldn't afford to like buy all these magazines, so I would just like tear out the photos and then just like sneak them out. <laughs> there was a a magazine stand on Beverly Drive that had all of those magazines, and when my mom would go to like Kukuru or something like that sure. to go get dinner, I would stay at the magazine stand and just like, go like it, everything yeah. that I saw was like, this is so incredible, and like. It's funny because I'll, you know, like I said, I'll go back to things that I thought were so sick when I was a, a young person. And I'm like, oh, I'm I, like, of course, I'm the way that I am that like the people that I love the most were wearing like plastic pants and had like neon yellow, different spiked hair, like all this. Like, it just makes so much sense. But at yeah. the time, you're just like, whoa, this is crazy. You totally. Know? Totally. OK, so I interrupted your story. So they corral you in during the biscuit. They corral you in. During, I think Lebiscuit was direct. No, I think I was I, trying to remember. I, can't I th- remember. I think I think I feel Ice like Lebiscuit was first, and then it was Ice Cube. But yeah. I can't remember because almost, I also get a lot of this stuff mixed up. Like it might have even gone had, orgy. It might have gone orgy because Lebiscuit was still they coming were really, up. They were yeah, they were coming up. But I think it might have gone orgy Lebiscuit um rammstein rammstein ice cube corn i you know like my 24 years of existing in this brain that i've been less than kind to like all i really remember are peak moments like seeing that like weird fake act of sodomy seeing orgy play blue monday like definitely there was like a big we were close there was like a we were close orgy Limp Bizkit, Ice Cube, Rammstein, Corn. So Rammstein was was direct. That's crazy. That's so insane. Yeah, that's so. insane. But I guess when you think about the production, it does make sense. Yeah. Like they had the most production next to Corn. I who know just that had people in a cage. In one of them being me, <laughs> yeah. like so pumped. So I just remember getting like corralled backstage and I'm like sitting there, and then they walk you up, and there's like nothing safe 
about this cage. That's the one thing that I distinctly remember that this cage had like all these new metal people, like, you know, people that like won tickets on, like that came from Hesperia and shit like that, like full <laughs> new metal warriors are in this cage that feels like it's a bunch of planks and then just bars in front of it. Like they went to Home Depot the night before and bought all the stuff to assemble it. So I remember like, you know, I'm giving it my fullest like new metal, like head tilted to the side. Like I'm really rocking, but I felt the whole time, like that cage was going to break. Like it was, it was definitely not, like it did not feel safe in the slightest. Sure. And you know, like I'm a 13 year old girl, like you know, a little bit on the chubby side, but definitely like not holding a lot of weight in that cage where there's like people that are like, you know, 200 pounds, like fucking shaking this thing and going for gold. And then they let us out a couple songs in, into the audience again, watch the show. And then I hung out by the buses and just tried to get pics with, all my favorite rockers, you know? Yeah. That's, How did it go? Uh, I scored a solid pick with Borland. Yep. I think there's a picture of me and Durst. Uh, I think that there's, there's a picture of head from corn walking away, but I don't <laughs> think, I think that like my mom's friend was like, just stand near him and I'll snap the photo if he turns. And it looks like you guys are like standing in the photo together. It was like real bad. And I was, I think that I'm like, no, you know, like <laughs> embarrassed as fuck. Cause ultimately I was with a parent, but yeah, of course that show changed my fucking life, man. This podcast is presented by distro kid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co-writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com slash VIP slash hard times. When did you, like, was there a time when you started to, that you wanted to play an instrument or anything like that? Is you, and also, I don't know if I know this, is Youth Code the only band you've, you've done or have yeah, you been? Yeah, it's okay, the only yeah. band. Uh, okay. And, you know, I think that, like, I had always gravitated toward, there's a funny story that, like, my mom and I have where when she was, when I was younger, I wanted to be a rocker so bad. Like, all I wanted to do was be a rocker. But I didn't actually want to learn any of the fundamentals or foundations of it. And so my mom got me a guitar teacher and I was like, okay, I just need to learn how to shred. Like, I just want to learn how to do solos. Uh And this guy was like, well, you need to learn chords beforehand. And I went negative, my guy, negative. Like, I don't want to learn chords. I just want to learn how to shred. And in theory, he could have just taught me scales and taught me how to practice scales and it would have been fine. But he was like, you need to learn the, the foundation like you need to learn the basics and i was just like yeah checked out cooked not interested because he wouldn't teach me how to shred (laughs) so like i've (laughs) i uh you know i've had a i've had an ear for music my whole life my dad had fruity loop studio uh when i was younger and i would make these like trance songs yeah i just i 
sort of gravitated towards wanting to play instruments, but I kind of knew relatively young that like, I don't, uh, like, I don't, I don't, I didn't think I wanted to be in a band. Like I, yeah. I just, it was kind of like, i I started touring at 17. I was hanging around with bands, you know, from 15, 16 onwards. I don't know that I really ever like thought that I would do it. And then as a result, like I got into doing merch, like right out of high school, like, and so I just sort of went like, yeah, I can still tour. I can do all these things, but I don't have to deal with being in a band. What, uh, Um, what was the first band you did merch for? So the first full us because i would do like i did a weekend in vegas with godhead i think when i was like 17 maybe okay maybe uh but the first full us tour i did was with my friend judd's band in high school uh he his band was called dry cell they were signed to reprise uh so his band gets signed and he does this full U.S., like his first full U.S. tour was on this tour called Loco Bazooka. And the touring package was like Filter, Seven Dust, Mushroom Head, oh some God. band called Drag Pipe. Uh, there was a couple other bands on it, but it was like a new metal touring package thing. Yeah. And so I went out at 17 years old and did merch for my friend Judd's band and like the kid that played guitar in this band, his dad was like super wealthy. So they bought an Eagle tour bus. And so my first tour was like on a bus. And I like thought like, Oh dude, I'm solid. I'm set. Yeah. Yeah. This is the good life. The bus was probably like some fucking like Van Halen crew bus from like 1987. (laughs) It was a piece of shit. (laughs) The driver was this dude named Donnie. I think who had like three eyebrow rings that were sort of melted over the side of his face. Yeah. I don't know. Like it, that was my first tour. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but I was like super hooked. I like, I felt, you know, I think that like when I was, when I was in high school and I was like promoing for loud side and like hanging out on the sunset strip and going to all these shows and doing all this stuff, like, I knew very quickly that this was going to be my life in some facet or another. Like I didn't know what capacity because I didn't have like, uh, you know, musical stuff, but I, I was doing, I was working for this promo company and I was always hanging around bands and I was really young, but I knew that it was going to be my life. And so when I did that tour, when I was 17, I just like, made friends with everybody made friends with everyone and on the strip i like made friends with tons of people all the time and i think through that i just like stayed in touch with people it seems like now that i'm an adult 20 years later it seems like moderately insidious that like a 17 year old girl was like making friends with all these like adult dudes that were touring but i don't i i it wasn't like anything insidious at the time. I was just trying to be friends with people and I had a, I loved hanging out. So I would just do, I would meet people, hang out, have fun. I like became friends with the dudes in mushroom head on that tour. And through that, I became friends with Dwid from integrity. So I toured with integrity. Wait, what's like the a couple years. Wait, wait, is what's the because connection there? Cleveland Jay from mushroom head was in, in cold blood. Whoa. He was the original singer. 
And then through that, like, uh, Cleveland hardcore, he was friends with Dwid. <coughs> and wow. Dwid and him, he came out to a show, and Dwid and I became friends, like, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so then I toured with Integrity. And it was just this constant, like, I would become friends with someone in a band. I would ask them if they needed someone to sell merch. Then I would go on tour. And that's just, like, what I did from 17. I mean, I don't think I really stopped that method of doing stuff until I was like 27. I think I'd already like established myself as like being somebody that did merch and toured with bands a lot, uh, tour managed sometimes like, but yeah, I was doing that. I mean, fuck, to be honest, like the last tour that I did doing merch and I think it's like my final run of doing merch it was in 2019 like i was still going out with behemoth and doing stuff oh go ahead i was gonna no, say i know you were like behemoth like person for for a real long time but here's here's something i actually don't know if i know was did you have like a moment when you did shift from liking more like new metal stuff to becoming more interested in like hardcore yeah so there was like an interesting i think i completely phased out of new metal by the year 2000 i, I want to say that it was 2000 because i was a sophomore in high school see you and i are, you, you and i are like the same in this where it's like there was still stuff i was interested in <clears throat> and i don't know that i <clears throat> sorry had like the language to understand all of the the lines between the two because uh, like I, you know, there was, there was hardcore bands that I definitely liked, but I didn't fully know to call it hardcore yet. And I was still listening to a lot of metal bands. And so like, and then there was some point when there was a shift and I was like, no, now I'm just into this stuff, but it's Mm -hmm. hard to sort of pinpoint it. Cause you also just mentioned like 2001 still being interested in dead Z well i mean that's that's when i shifted because to me like dead z wasn't new metal like i feel like yeah i feel when i was getting out of corn and i was getting into orgy and dead z and stuff like that there was way higher of an electronic element and none of these bands rapped so i was (laughs) like yeah i'm done with that i'm not i'm not doing this rap stuff anymore like i'm 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 back in the i'm in the matrix right now you know like i was i was plugged in for sure like yeah. I think all of my purses were like made out of like clear plastic, but I like, <laughs> I also had a shift to hardcore or I became like aware of hardcore and hung out with kids from hardcore. It's weird because those, the four years of high school feel like I changed in so many different ways and I had so many different phases and it feels like such a long span of time, but four years as you get older, is nothing. nothing. Yeah. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It's insane. Like, you know, the pandemic was two years. Our band went from being a band that had existed for eight years to 10 years in the course of like two years of sitting inside. Like it was in, you know, yeah. time doesn't exist anymore. So, totally. um, I feel like I made this shift to being interested in hardcore, but I didn't understand. I didn't understand a lot of it. Like, I feel like I had a friend in high school. Her name was Stephanie Flaxman. She X'd up in high school every day. 
And my only exposure to straight edge was through when Biff Naked was on Much Music. And I was like, it's like such a dated reference, right? Like, But I was like, hey, what is that? You yeah. know, and she was like, I'm straight edge. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I don't eat meat. And I was like, whoa, uh, seems a little like hectic for me. Like I've been a smoker since I was yeah. 13, you know, but she was like, you might change your mind if you listen to certain bands. And I was like, okay, you know, give me some recommends. So we got in her car. It was like, a, I want to say it was like, a, it was some like Honda shitty, like shitty car. And she had a CD of destroy the machines. Yep by earth crisis and i was like whoa you don't have to drink and you can sound as heavy as slayer like this fucking rules and i think i stopped drinking for like a couple days but then i I was just like right right back to being a piece of shit i never quit smoking uh but once i knew about what hardcore was yeah it changed you know I would make friends when I was like 16, 17. I was also making friends with a lot of the people that hung out in Orange County, like uh, 18 Visions people and like Bleeding Through people and and all those people, like the OCHC people. Yeah. And so they were all straight edge. And I was like, oh, I know what that is. But like, uh, you know, the riffs are cool. I don't really, mm, yeah, you know, sure. like I was like, I was a dodo, you know. But yeah, yeah I like, um, I don't think that I ever really, I think because there were so many principles involved of what i was told at such a young age like in order to be hardcore you must do this and i was like well i'm also doing these other things because i was also going to raves and shit like that and (laughs) hanging out downtown till like eight o'clock in the morning and shit like you know like i feel like it it is another patch in the quilt of like what musical stuff i was interested in you know like i knew about it but it's like an extension it of a, it's an extension of liking Goldfinger and also uh, liking you know yeah exactly like it's it's that it's that sort of thing because like for me I think it was like you know I really love the Deftones and then I really love Far and then through a lot of that stuff I found stuff like Strife and I found stuff like Will Haven or whatever else and then it did start to make more sense to me same with you like with Earth Crisis like I got into them through the Ozfest VHS. Cause they mm-hmm. were on that with like neurosis. And I remember them and neurosis standing out being like, well, these are like less gimmicky and heavier than most things else on this, you know, like, so that like perked my interest or whatever, but um, yeah, there it, it, it's, you're, you are one of the, you and like Fern are like two of the people in my life that I'm like, it's an interesting conversation to have because we both, Dude. we all three of us kind of went through the same exact thing. Fern is someone that like I can bring up 20 dead flower children and Fern (laughs) knows exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. And it is insane to me. This is a bit I can be like, yo, do you remember Depswa on a Monday night show? And he like will lose it. You know what I mean? Like two hit creeper. uh, Oh, two hit creeper, dude. Yikes. Oh, dude. (laughs) Yeah, the yeah. migraines, the mu- the mugs, the uh... yeah mug or like Apex Theory and yeah. like every single show. Like Dude, there's I so s- many bands. Living in Glendale, but... I still randomly see the the bass player from Apex Theory now and again. Because they were they were honestly like the other Armenian band, other than other than System of a Down. So like yeah, so like those two were intertwined like that. So like if you'd see System, you would likely also see Apex Theory. Totally, and then there was. That dude Avo, 
who was like down with system and apex theory and yes. he would pass out apex theory stickers after every show. It didn't matter what show it was that yes. dude was out there. Him and his brother Ara were just like passing out apex theory stuff all the time. Yeah. 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 I remember, I remember being so, so I went, so when head automatica first started, I remember going to the, their first show or whatever and Ava was like hanging out with them. And I was like, my, mm-hmm. I, this is my mind is just being blown right now. I don't understand how yeah. any of this works. Yeah, I didn't. I, it's weird. Like, I feel like you and I both coming from that sort of zone. It's easy to understand how we got into touring in the different capacities in which we did it. Right. Like, because you kind of got schooled pretty quickly that like all it takes is being a solid person and talking to people and being cool and you can kind of put yourself in any situation like yeah you're totally right i mean from like doing shows and stuff like you get on shows and you start doing shows because you make friends with all these people and then from there you know you already have like a touring project it's the same thing with like doing merch and stuff like that but i mean even the beginnings of youth code right like all these people had known me from years of touring and so like when it I was like, oh, yeah, you, I have a band. It gives you a leg up. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just from, like, being, I don't know, being nice, being a good person, like, will, willing to talk to people. Like, Ryan always makes fun that, like, not makes fun, but he always talks about, like, how I'm the person that will check in on someone that I haven't spoken to in, like, three years and just pick back up like nothing ever happened. And, yeah. and it's I think it's something that comes from, like, constantly touring and constantly trying to keep in touch to, like, make sure you still have, like, a a system of people around you, you know? You have such an interesting story too, because you spent so much time touring with people and really seeing the ins and outs of so many different things. And then youth code started. And, and I can only imagine the wealth of experience that you had going into it, uh, setting yourself up to know the do's and don'ts of starting a band and how to operate. Um, Do you feel like from an, you know, like if you were to take a step back and look at everything, like, do you, do you see that yourself? Uh, you know, it's interesting because I feel like in in ways Ryan and I are both like. I mean, obviously, vets. yes, Ryan has the history of Carry On and and all yeah, of this yeah, stuff yeah. too. So he has like that side of it as well. Yeah, I think that I had like, I think that the bigger difference. It's cool, like you know, doing everything with Ryan it's awesome because we both do know how tour works, but also like, I think that I came from it on like, uh, like he was kind of in a get in the van and go sort of zone where I was like, okay, like mapping things out and like call, like calling all these different people in different cities and like finding places to like stay and shit like that. Like there was definitely, I don't know, like, it worked its magic in different ways, but yeah, I do. I did feel like, cause I had like, I had decided that I wasn't going to tour anymore. Like when I met Ryan, I was like, I am so in love. I never want to do this again. I don't want to be away from this person. And I got a job at vacation. And, and so the legend of youth code basically is born. But once we had a band, I was like, all right, yeah, I guess we're going on tour. So like, once I did that, it was like, talk to this person, that person, this person, try to like route and book and like keep in contact and, and create these connections and stuff like that. And then it just like never stopped, you know? So I guess in a way from having toured as long as I did, it was easier to adapt to doing this sort of stuff than I think it would have been if I was just like, this is my 
first day on the planet of touring. I don't really know how to do this sort of thing. Yeah. How soon after you and Ryan met did Youth Code start? I don't know if I know that. Less than a year. Really? Yeah. Like, I remember that we had started Youth Code right before our first anniversary. And it seemed to like, it it basically hit the ground running as soon as we did the first show. And I remember that we were at our first anniversary dinner. Maybe it was our, maybe it was our first, I can't remember if it was, we had been together a year. Yeah, I think so. Because Ryan and I got together in 2011 and the band started in 2012. And I remember sitting at, it's called Silver Lake House. It's right next to where Satellite used to be or like okay, Spaceland sure. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That little like Thai. Yeah, like, sure. We called it Thai Elephant forever. But anyway, we were sitting there and I just remember him being like, this is cool. I'm really happy we're in love. Let's focus on the band for like a couple of years, see how it goes. And then, you know, settle into things. But the band never really stopped. Like it just kept going. And it yeah. became like this all encompassing thing. Um, um, did you both have like a pretty clear idea of what you were trying to accomplish? Like I even just revisiting in preparation for, for our conversation, um, the sonic sound between like the, like what you were doing on the self-titled record, uh, versus the commitment record. Like, I feel like that first one is, is, would you agree that it's a lot more like direct, straightforward industrial, and then it got more sort of aggressive on your side for that next record yeah when we first started the thought process of doing it was basically like nobody was doing industrial like yeah it just wasn't a thing that was happening and so we started you know we did the first self-titled but it's like such a rushed record that almost has like a lot of naivete towards it like I didn't know what I was doing vocally. I, you know, just kind of, I was like, you pull, put a bunch of effects on it and mm -hmm. I'm just going to yell, you know? Whereas like after we started touring and I started honing in on what screaming actually is and like how to control my voice, like I think there were natural evolutions in the sound from the first record to getting to a point where, and I think also the other thing about it is like, you know, I like I'm a I'm a Hessian through and through, really. Like whatever I tried to describe to or whatever I tried to say that I'm into, at the core basis of myself, it's like Pantera fan 101, you know, or Metallica fan. So yeah. like anything that I do, even if it touches on all these different interests of stuff aggressive it's going to be like me being aggressive and so i think the music just continuously started to like to move forward and forward until we got to where we were with like like even the last record we did with king yosef like it was direct hit aggression like it was yeah. you know that record is a, a heavy fucking record with like breakdowns and shit but i think also like we were doing this stuff we were doing youth code that was this like kind of it was a variated version of industrial but like you know we couldn't escape the fact that we were people 
that, you know, Ryan's from hardcore. I toured with a bunch of metal bands. So we were playing shows with all these like punk and metal and hardcore bands. And I think that naturally the sound was going to evolve from the first record into what commitment was just based on being around so much heavy stuff and wanting to be like, Oh yeah, this melody is cool. But like, what about if we put a breakdown here or like, this is cool. But what if we put like a downbeat here in the song? So and what and what you have have still going for you is because you both come from this world um you have you like instantly get uh you know clout and support from from people from this world because i think that um anytime anyone tries to make a make music outside of what they might be originally known for it's always mm-hmm. exciting and it's and it's like support it's like why there's so many hardcore kids that play in metal bands like like you know mm-hmm. trying to do direct straightforward metal bands that always get so much support because it's like i i feel like without even really clarifying it everybody decides like that's sick that they're doing this and we're going to support it you know what i'm saying like mm-hmm. i remember when youth code first started it was like everywhere you know what i'm saying like everybody yeah. was like this is fucking sick like la very quickly embraced what you what you both were doing and it was just like really awesome to see you know i think it was also i think that the reason that it was embraced so quickly was because there was sort of at least like my presumption of what was going on at the time in terms of like music with synthesizers like everybody was doing minimal synth and like there was a lot of like worship for like minimal electronics and like Mm -hmm. you know there wasn't there hadn't been like a surge of people that openly were like, yeah, I love skinny puppy. Like that (laughs) it was, you know, I saw skinny puppy play at, uh, the Wiltern. No, it was at the Henry Fonda. Um, I saw him play at the Henry Fonda and I remember going to that show and like, I would see other people there and they'd be like, Oh, you like this too. Like, it was like a weird, unspoken thing you know so when youth code came out it was like this bold braggadocious appreciation for industrial in its purest form and i think a lot of people were like oh yeah i remember that stuff that stuff's great and like then it was like this explosion of everyone deciding like oh yeah you know what i love frontline assembly like i'm here i'm i've been listening to them forever you know uh So I think that it was just an exciting time when we started because we were like kind of bursting open this door of something that a lot of people felt like was maybe their hidden secret. Yeah. Or something that they felt like they couldn't share with anybody else because they didn't really know anyone else who was who was into it at the same time. So that's awesome. I couldn't talk to anyone about like Scold's self-titled record besides you. I think that (laughs) that is a that's a, a very secret thing. Nobody was talking to me about a lot of things about it. Yeah. It was like this, you know, hidden secret. Yeah. God, I was, it's funny. It was from when we were about to talk uh, and I was like thinking of the stuff that you and I have always connected on that scold record popped in my head. And it's crazy that that album is still like not on any streaming services. It's like not that, on any streaming platform. Yeah. At all. Um, does it hold up? I haven't listened to it. Does it, is it still pretty cool? Is it all right? Is that song it... Neverland fucking goes, dude. Okay. Okay. That song Neverland you. rips. I, I think that there's you. probably, I, I think that it's on YouTube. I think I oh, was I'm like sure really trying is. to find it and I listened yeah. to it not that long ago and I think it still goes. Yo, I went down, this is probably, I probably should say this for later or whatever. I went down a rabbit hole because of Heaven's Blade the other, uh, the other night where mm-hmm. who's, who's all in that band? 
It was uh, Alex from Suicide Silence, Fred, who's Fred. in Deftones now, yeah. uh, and this dude, Matt, who uh, is in Rob Zombie's band. Okay, I think on Discogs it has someone else listed. Hold on. We're doing this live. We're doing this. We're doing it live. <laughs> Sick. Uh, I hope so. I can't even believe Heaven's Blade is on Discogs. It was like this really funny, like short-lived little thing that uh, yeah. I don't know if I'll ever actually do again. It was like kind of a time and place sort of thing, and yeah, it was like and sadly cool. sort of imploded. Yeah, I mean, it was like a cool, like it's cool to hear you do like a fucking hardcore band, like a like a straightforward like kind of punk band. Um, yeah. Okay, you know what? You're totally right. I. I did not. Okay, I think I. So what is, you're thinking so what I, what of I was, okay, is Reese ahead. Fulber who produced uh, Commitment to Complications. Thank you. So I was I was fucking up my uh, my research. Okay, okay, okay. There you go. So I went. This is down the hole. I went. So I looked. I was looking up who like worked on these records with you, right? Mm-hmm. And he's in some capacity. Is he in Fear Factory? Or what's he was his... the producer for like all those fucking pivotal. I think he did like most of him like and John Bechtel. I think, yeah, I think him and John Bechtel did a lot of the electronics on it. Uh, okay, I knew when I met Reese because he was playing in Frontline Assembly on the Skinny Puppy tour, the first one we did. Uh, yeah. I knew I wanted him to do a Youth Code record because of the stuff he did with Fear Factory. I met him when I was like fifteen or sixteen. There is a photo. That uh, I I don't know who has it to be honest. In my I I feel like maybe Anna has this photo. I can't remember who has it, but for some reason when I was fifteen or sixteen, Anna, myself, this girl, Tara who worked for Loudside, there were like a couple people. For some reason we were in Fear Factory Studio when they were making Digimortal. Oh wow! Okay. So I met Reese when I was really really young. And I tripped out with him when he was on that tour. He was like, oh, you guys are great. Like, he was stoked on the band or whatever. And I was like, bro, I met you when I was hella young. Like, yeah. probably shouldn't talk about it. But I was definitely in that studio hella young. And I was mad inspired by, like, the shit that you were doing. And sure. I've always been inspired by it. And I wonder if you would be interested in doing work with Youth Code. And he was like, yeah, let's you know, let's get it done. So we convinced him to work on a commitment with us. And it was great. Like it was, he understood the direction that I wanted to go because he had so much experience. Like, you know, he was in nail bomb, like he was in a bunch of shit that understood electronics with a very heavy element. One thought, yeah, it's like a, per- it's a perfect collaborator. Um, yeah. Just to finish this thought. So I was like, Okay, I found Reese, and then I was like, then I th- then I thought about Raymond Herrera, the drummer of Fear Factory, who's an undeniable fucking ripper. So I was like, what other right. bands was that dude in? And then <laughs> I, I saw a band called Kush. Does this sound familiar to you? Okay, no. check this out. Check this out. There was a side project band. Sorry for the listeners putting you through this, but this is we'll all get through this together. Uh, there was a, a short-lived side project band called Kush featuring. Be real of the, of Cypress Hill. This is the most. Is Steph Carpenter in this band? Yes, yes, Steph yes. From I the do Death know Bones. this band. I Christian, do know this band. the guitar player from Fear Factory, and mm-hmm. Raymond. They put out one song that was on the like Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Lockdown soundtrack, maybe a video game. I don't know what that is, Jesus but the song is called Christ. Unstable, 
and it stinks. <laughs> it's on oh, YouTube. I'm sure. It's, I'm sure. It's crazy. It, it's just because like, you'll remember it was as much two as in the I morning knew. last night. It was two in the morning oh, yeah. last night. Going I was like, through that I, hole and you're all, I got to go to bed. I, I got to like, go to bed. It's like, I'm I have too to far listen in. to this. I have to listen to this and then I'm going to bed. <laughs> so Dude, I appreciate sure you. Like, I appreciate your, yeah. uh, you somehow leading me to this in a weird kind of way. But anyway, yeah, what were you going to say? Well, I'm sure that you remember like around the year 2000, if you were ever on the Sunset Strip, there was a corner table of the rainbow that only had Steph, Be Real, and like yes, Dino was there all the time. Like it was this corner table of the rainbow that they were there every night after every show. It didn't matter. I Those bet they're still there. there every night. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I've actually dragged myself to the rainbow recently a couple times and I didn't see him, but okay. uh, I'm also not looking super hard. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, fun fact about Raymond Herrera as well. I did a tour doing merch for Suffocation and they opened for Fear Factory and it was like when the rift had happened. So it was Byron playing bass Christian had moved to guitar because Dino was out and Raymond was playing drums and Raymond Herrera had stake in an energy drink called cocaine. So all of our passes on the back said, do cocaine. It's legal energy drink. And I was like, how, like, why do I have to walk around with this thing on me? Yeah, that's tough. That's a tough look. They sent me, they sent everybody home with a case of it. And it was really, I I mean, that was an energy drink. It tasted <laughs> spicy. It was horrible. It was oh, horrible. Oh, yeah. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to quick ask. Um, was I was interested in the first seven inch? Was that the, Was that actually first? Was the seven inch first before the LP, which came out on uh, Angry Love Records? Yeah, the seven inch was first. We put out. It was kind of weird. Like I had known uh, Ed Lee, who played drums in Psychic TV. I met Ed Lee when I was on tour with Kylesa and it was a very strange thing wherein I'm his son was at the show wearing a psychic cross pin. And I was like, what are you doing wearing that pin? Like at this show, like that, you know, that like sort of sniffing out your turf thing that I feel like everybody does when you're younger, you see someone wearing a band t-shirt and you're like, what are you doing here? You know, what's your story? Yeah. And so I asked him and he was like, oh, it's my dad's band. And I was like, your dad's in that band? Well, what are you talking about? So he introduced me, like I made friends with Ed Lee. And we became buds, you know? This is like well before Youth Code had ever started. I was at South by Southwest. I meet Genesis for the first time alongside Ed Lee. It's like blowing my mind. They're yeah. like, you know, Psychic TV, Throbbing Gristle was shit that I like worshipped as a young person you know uh coil like just all this different weird avant-garde shit that i would listen to and i didn't feel like i knew that many people that also listened to it so anyway i told edley that ryan and i had a band uh you know once we started youth code and he was like i want to put out the first seven inch and i was like okay like let's I mean, put, I don't want to put the cart before the horse here. Like I want to make sure that this is actually a serious thing and yeah. it's what we're doing or, you know, cause I don't want to waste your time. And we put out the tape first and then we sent two of the songs over to Edley to do the seven inch. And it was like, it's another thing of just like 
knowing people and like, you know, Jen co-signed on it. And it was just like, this is your first seven inch. You're going to be on Psychic TV's label. You're the only band that isn't Psychic TV that's ever been on this label. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what caught my interest because I looked, I was like, I've never heard of this label. I looked at it. I was like, okay, it basically just puts out Psychic TV stuff. It's obviously someone from Throbbing Gristle, all that. So I'm just like, that's so credible and also so deep in like the industrial avant-garde sort of weird world. And it's just, absolutely, it's, it's such a very cool stamp of approval from like a true legend for getting your band off the ground. Oh, like I have a friend, so we played Nothing Changes in New York. It was the first time that we'd ever gone there. It's funny because it coincides with hardcore because I had booked us to play our first New York show based upon the fact that I knew Judge was reuniting and one of Ryan's favorite bands was Judge. So I was like, let's time these two up. We'll play in New York at this girl Nikki Sneakers party called Nothing Changes, which was kind of the ashes of like the weird records party that they used to do in New York. so I booked that on the same weekend that Judge was coming back for Black and Blue. And uh, we played Nothing Changes, and Jen came to the show. And Jen was already, like, pretty, you know, older by the time that happened. And it was real, like, I think a lot of people were really tripped out that we're this band from Los Angeles that kind of came the fuck out of nowhere. And we're playing this party that's already like pretty credible and fucking Genesis P words is like sitting in the corner, like tapping along to everything stoked. It was yeah. a weird moment for me too. You know Amazing. what I mean? Like I don't ever think uh, when I really think back of how insane that actually is, it blows my mind. Yeah. You know, it's unbelievable. Something I also really like about your band is that you all, you, you've, you've always done a lot of singles, like a lot of seven inches, a lot of EPs and things like that. Um, is there for you both, is there a mindset that goes into that or is it, or just, I guess that's just the question. Yeah. Like what, is there something that motivates that? You know, what's interesting is I think a seven inch is my least favorite format of vinyl. So sure. it's interesting that we constantly do singles because I remember there was a point in time where I was like organizing my record collection and I was like, I have so many songs that are just one song and you flip it over and it's the second song and it drives me nuts. I think yeah. I eradicated like 99% of my seven inch collection based yeah. on this annoyance. Um, I think that in terms of putting out singles, I think a lot of it stems from wanting to keep things interesting and not, it's weird. Like we'll put out, a single or we'll put out a song and i always like the concept of like when i was younger you know like those remix albums and stuff like that or like you know the b-side to something is like something you can't find on the cd or you know things of that nature i like that the single is always where you can find the hidden gems um and i think that that is why we've done singles because in like they the ep and we'll continue to do stuff like that because you can kind of like, it's not as committal as a record, right? Like of a course, record, yeah. you have to have like your 12 songs. They all have to be bangers. Like you don't really get a chance to fit in the material for doing like a remix or something. Or if you do, it's like buried at the end of the record and you're usually not pressing it. It probably comes on like an additional flexi or something afterwards. So I think seven, like I think singles give the opportunity 
to kind of be expansive with the band and not to be so put into like, this is your record. This is what your message is. Totally. It also allows you opportunity to explore, to maybe try something. And it's, um, not to, not to pull a negative into this, but say if something doesn't translate, it's like not held against you. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you, you yeah, can be you forgiven just, you put for it something. On a single. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. I, and I do like that from what I saw, you do put a lot of remix. You have put a lot of remixes on that stuff, which is very reminiscent of like, you know, reminds me of the stuff we were into when we were coming up. Like a lot of stuff we talked Absolutely. about, like a lot of those import singles for a lot of the bands that we liked had these bizarro remixes that were only found on those. Yep. A hundred percent. I remember I had to go to Newberry Comics on my first tour to pick up Deep Shadows and Brilliant Highlights by him because they only sold it at Newberry Comics. And Razorblade Romance by him was under the moniker of her and only sold at Newberry Comics. And it came with a weird track listing that wasn't like any of the other track listings of the CD ever been out before. Yeah. It's such an era Wild. thing. It's 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 so cool. Um wanted to ask about um so the last the last release uh if i'm not mistaken is the is the king joseph collab right that's like the last okay mm-hmm. um how was that experience for you uh just doing like a full-on collaboration record like how how in-depth was that collaboration and i also saw like matt pike plays guitar on it randomly yeah, yeah, yeah. how did that all work with the collab record it was an interesting thing like um I think that everybody was like pretty bogged down by everything going on. And I like, I don't think that I felt a smidge of creativity, like whatsoever. I wasn't feeling inspired by anything. I didn't want to write about anything. I was so distraught by like, you know, everything that was going on. And at the same point in time, sitting there sort of like wondering, because we hadn't when everything the pandemic started we hadn't put out a record in like four years right and so we were like just watching the clock tick really and like thinking you know i was watching other people put out records and nobody was giving a fuck because nobody could perform any of these records and it was disheartening it was like you know i have friends that put out records during that point in time that should have been able to like tour consistently that i that i watched kind of like oh you put that out during that point in time like that's unfortunate you know like yeah i make the joke maybe. i make when we started finally touring on the because we put out a record in 2020 i started making a joke on stage which i eventually retired but i was like we uh sacrificed a record to 2020 this is our uh yeah <laughs> this is our... It's like a very real thing yeah 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 um and so i i was just like you know what can we do to stay creative but yet not have something that's committal like nothing that we really like if if this never comes back if we never get to tour again at least we'll do something that's creative sure and i thought about the fact that like you know we had done like a collaborative single with health which we did get to play together which was cool but you know it, w- it was all dependent on because we're touring with health and, you know, like of course. all these things. But um, if health and us are not on the same bill, we don't play this song. So I was like, well, you know, like I think a collab might be kind of fun. 
And at the time, like we had forged this really cool relationship with King Yosef and we were face Ryan and I would FaceTime him and his partner at night sometimes and just like hang out over FaceTime and talk. And I think we got this bright idea that was like, why don't we do a collab? But like, instead of it just being a song, let's do a whole fucking record. Like what else do we have going on? Right. right. And he was instantly down and we were sitting on so many different stems and demos and all these different things that we weren't doing anything with because we didn't really have a plan to like unleash any of it. And so we put together a Dropbox folder and he put in like eight songs that we were going to pick and choose which ones we liked. And I think we put in eight songs that he was going to pick and choose what he liked. And in like the same fashion of like the postal service, basically we like, sure. You know, we cut it down to like four songs each and then we would work on each other's songs and send them back and keep sending them back and keep sending them back until we got to a point where we were like this. I think these songs are the way that it's going to go. And then when it came down to lyrics and vocals, I've never I think I've done one song with someone else singing. And it's when I had Ben from Goat Whore guest on Commitment. But I had a setup verse for him. I didn't have to share anything. I had everything written out for him because it was a collaborative record and because, you know, I wanted an equal amount of participation between Yosef uh, and ourselves. I was like, well, I guess we, I guess I have to fly up to Portland and we do this record together. And he has like a studio in his house. He's been doing records for a long time, but he had also not ever done this sort of collaborative effort with someone. He's never written lyrics with someone. I remember like the, you know, weeks leading up to the flight because we finished all the, the instrumentals for the record in like a month's time. Like it was a very quick process because he's creatively one of the most incredible people I've ever personally worked with. Like he just gets things really quick and he's constantly, it's like a, it's like a prodigy in a weird way. Um, he can edit things really quickly. He has like such an amazing set sound to what he's doing. Anyway, so I flew up to Portland and I'd only hung out with him a couple times before, like at bars. I didn't really like know him, know him. I got to know him really like over the course of the pandemic. So here I am in the middle of like, I also when I flew up, it was like during that insane fire in Oregon. Oh, right. So like everything is like, it smells like barbecue in all of Portland. It's fucked outside. There's still this fucking pandemic going on. And I'm just like, all right, yeah, we're not going to leave the house. We're just going to do these songs. So on one of the songs, Head Underwater, there was a point where I was like, I really want a guitar solo here. I knew Matt lived in Portland and I toured with High on Fire for a long time. And I called him and I asked him if he was home and he was like, yeah. And he was like, but I'm, I live in Portland now. I don't live in Oakland. And I was like, yeah, I'm down the street from you fool. Like I'm, I'm in Portland as well. Can you come rip a solo for just this part? And he was like, uh, yeah, all right. sounds good. <laughs> Comes over to Tavis's house, rips this insane solo. He was in and out in like 20 minutes, but <laughs> yeah, it was like, it just came together so perfect. I don't think that there 
the health song, it took like two or three days and it was a pretty fluid collaboration between those dudes as well. But yeah, a whole record with someone, it was, it was very intimate. It was very difficult. We were also on like a time limit of like doing stuff. I only booked out, I thought I was going to do eight songs worth of vocals in four days, which is a fucking joke. Uh, my voice blew out on the third day. So I had to like extend my ticket. I ended up staying for a week. And even at that, I wasn't finished with one song. So I had to finish it at the house. I remember panicking because my voice was blown and I didn't know what to do. I like called every friend of mine that's ever sang on a record. And I was like, what do you do if your voice is fucked? And they were like, don't record. And I was like, I don't have that option right now, you know? Um, But yeah, it was cool. And it was also cool to do. It was the first time in the history of us as a band that we actually had to go to the pressing plane ourselves, do a record DIY. There wasn't anybody else handling anything for us. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's such a freeing sort of thing to, to do though, to kind of go into something with someone else. Cause you're both kind of experiencing the same thing um, and sort of build off of each other's um, mm-hmm. mix of expectations and no expectations, which is, which is, can be really fun you know yeah Um, it also felt really good um thank you it felt really good to me because i i you know he's been very open about how influential we were to him and in a weird way like it felt good to like do this record with someone I, it's like a hard thing to describe when you hear like a lot of people doing stuff, but not like necessarily variating on the theme and they're like, Oh yeah. Like we really were inspired or we're influenced by what you do. It's like, thank you. And I appreciate that. And I'm in no way, shape or form like bummed about it, but it's also interesting to meet someone who's inspired, but taking it on a completely different level and doing stuff that like, I'm like, Whoa, like were what inspired you to do this? Like, this is inspiring me. So it was like this kind of back and forth of like two generations worth of like electronic music in this new zone, kind of going back and forth, continuously being inspired by each other. And that to me was like one of the most beautiful things about it. It was like such a learning experience for me. And it was fascinating. And I felt more inspired than I ever had, you know, especially after being in such a lull of an inspiration creatively to sit there and like watch someone 11 years younger, just like have the sickest vocals come up with like the, the heaviest, most crushing lyrics, like his production value and stuff, like everything was phenomenal. And I think that that to me was the most beautiful part about it was getting to like be inspired back and forth with someone. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's awesome. Um, it, th- having those moments, especially during these last couple of years, is like so. Yeah, it's uh, it's life affirming in a way too, where you're like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm allowed to still be creative, like all, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, are these so coming up next? You have these My Chem shows. Are these your first shows back? Have you performed at all? You haven't, right? Yeah, we were just yeah, we performed. 
We oh. played Hellfest the day before you guys Fuck. did. I okay, think. I couldn't remember because I remember there were certain things that maybe didn't end up happening or got moved around for you at some point. I totally forgot. How was your Hellfest experience? Oh, God. Incredible and also yeah. the scariest thing of my entire life. The scariest. Yeah. I, we, the biggest amount of people that we had ever played to prior to this is probably five or 6,000 people. We played the main, like one of the main shows at Wave Gothic Treffin in 2015. It was like us, DAF, Front, 242, and some guy, I don't know yeah, who yeah, he is, yeah. but he played as well. Uh, and I remember like walking out uh, to this, like it used to be an airline hangar in Leipzig and peeking through the fence. Cause the backstage was in a building above the venue or something. And you walk through the airline hangar and they just have those like mesh fencing yeah. above it. And I remember being scared shitless then. And that was at 5,000 people. Then I'd gotten used to that sort of thing where it was like, Oh, we can kill this room. Oh, we got this room. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, you yeah. know, like all this sort of stuff. But, 30,000 people is a lot different. Because you were on it main stage, in, right? Yeah. Oh, we got, uh, yeah, it was, it, the whole thing was insane. And Every you were, single your thing stage was, this. the headliner was Nine Inch Nails, right? Which is like, yeah, such we got a dream. picked by Nine Inch Nails, yeah. which is, fuck. I don't know, man. Like, in terms of like, I always laughed at, Every teenage intention I ever said as a child came true eventually. And mm-hmm. it feels great. Like it feels there's something validating about like doing something musically that is like looked at and given a thumbs up by like the person that kind of got you, like steered you into this. I always yeah. joke that I should probably just pay Trent royalties for existing as a human being. So. <laughs> We might be, I mean, it's funny. We might be stepping on the last question. Um, uh, we potentially, uh, maybe we should just segue to that, which, which if, in case this does kind of work together, but, uh, do you, when was that first time where you felt like you were doing the thing you'd been working so hard towards? Like it, it might not have been this, but this is what feels like that sort of area that we're exploring right now. It was not this, but this was a good confirmation of it. Sure. You know? I think that. Um, the, the first time that I actually thought this is what's going, like, this is what we're doing and what we're doing is, is like the first time that I felt like we really were nailing it, um, was being co-signed by Skinny Puppy. Like we got put on that tour or asked to be a part of this tour and it was a fucking heavy hitter tour frontline assembly how job skinny puppy us like that's like the most bang for your buck industrial tour for a while like and especially in the u.s it's not like something that we're like playing in germany it's like right that's a u.s tour and we right before we started the tour uh i wrote a facebook message to like ogre or something I like knew that he was on Facebook and I was like, Hey, I don't know if you check this, but I just want to say like, thanks for having us on this tour. I'm really excited. And he wrote back and was like, we are so excited to have youth code on. You guys have breathed new life into this. And I was like, <laughs> bro, 
Yeah. You know, like my whole fucking head explodes, right? It's fucking, you don't really get, you know, like I, I feel like it's cool when people that you're inspired by, like tell you you're doing a good job. You know what I mean? But it's not, it's not something that you ever expect. Like sure. you don't ever expect someone to like really give you the accolade that you're looking for. So to have like someone that was like such a seminal figure for industrial, give me this like pat on the back. Like you guys are fucking breathing new life into the scene. Like, are you kidding me? Like it was, I think I was like, yeah, we got this, you know, <laughs> not that anybody else is like, you know, I didn't, I don't think that even when we started youth code, never really needed anyone else's vote of confidence like because nobody was doing industrial like i felt confident enough as it stood but it felt nice to have like you know somebody that was like a a a pivotal person in that scene kind of tell me this thing like you're doing a good job kid like yeah that was amazing that's awesome i love that that's 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 super cool are you uh uh, so, wait so how many so you did hellfest how many other shows did you do over there we did we had like kind of a wild thing we had signed on to do two shows with kite in sweden so we flew to sweden we had like a show in umeo that dennis put on then we did two shows in sweden then we came back to the u.s and then which is really kind of amazing because when refused ended their tour they ended in Los Angeles, pandemic happens. When we start, so it's in our hometown, their last show. Then our first show was in their hometown, yeah. starting up our first stuff. So it was kind of this like beautiful exchange on things. Yeah. Um, and so we played those shows, came home, and then flew to Romania two and a half weeks later. And we Holy did fuck. two weeks of Eastern Europe with health leading into hellfest oh and then God. we went home the day after hellfest oh wow damn that's yeah awesome. so hellfest was like our like our little cap at the end of everything yeah and it was insane it that's, was insane it's a cool way to end we we started yeah. and had a <clears throat> we had some brutal some brutal travel like flew into hellfest and then had to be up at four in the morning to fly to manchester to play a festival in manchester the next day it was just like brutal but uh, I mean, it was our first time ever at Hellfest, and it was quite an experience for sure. Um, have, you, have you guys has Touche done like massive festival things before? I presume yeah, you guys have done. Yeah, big festivals. yeah, yeah. We, we've 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 been doing that like Euro festival circuit for for a number of years. I always call it um, I always call it summer with Fat Mike because no matter what, for some yeah. reason. Fat Mike is present, whether it's No Effects is playing or me first in the Gimme Gimmies or whatever. It's just like, no matter what, how how like eclectic the festival might be, he's somehow still there. He's he's just he's in the catering I, room. I sort of feel like I feel like D's Nuts is a band that's yes, on that's another those. one. That's D's another Nuts one. is on every single European festival. It does not matter if it's like <laughs> like. It, an indie it, festival somehow D's nuts is on that festival or if it's like a metal festival somehow they're on it there but a, yeah a summer percent. with that mic is Our, is basically summer with these nuts yeah yeah these nuts played Vainstream the day we played Vainstream. um and somehow i didn't see fat mike this this time which is shocking um and i don't know him in any capacity i, I, I met him once but like 
the uh it's always just so interesting i love the those festivals because they're so unlike anything else ever because like i always say to people like in the u.s they keep people pretty separate you know like if you're like mm-hmm. kind of like a, a headliner like you're you're not going to be anywhere near these people but like you know at these europe festivals like everyone is in the catering like if you want catering you're going to be in the same catering room as like some fucking pretty famous people and it's just always yeah. so it's always just so shocking um we didn't have too many too many allies our day uh that we played Hellfest. Mm. um the only band that we knew the only bands we knew were converge who were playing a different stage and they played at midnight um and then zabalba from here in la but like yeah <clears throat> our stage was like zabalba gbh um uh discharge someone else was on that day yeah discharge was on that day yeah. because you guys played the day after us right that's right that's right that's right um yeah it was a bunch of uh and the exploited it was like older punk bands and then us just somehow shoehorned in there um but uh yeah it's uh, what makes uh, what so you you mentioned you're doing the whole my chem thing but youth code is on how many shows two shows three shows four shows four shows what what part mm-hmm. of the country are you in for those we're doing the West Coast dates. So we do Sick. Denver, we do Portland, we do a Vegas show, and then we do uh, a forum show. Amazing. Which is mind blowing. Yeah. Me. After going to so many events, Family Values uh, Tour to then get into play there. There's your full circle. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's truly a full circle. Also, like, you know, in connection with my dad and like the, the you know, first connections with music. I bought my dad and I tickets to see Depeche Mode on the singles 86 to 98 tour in high school. I went to art class with a kid whose parents had like box seats. So I bought these two tickets for my dad and I to go see Depeche Mode at the forum. I think it was in uh, 99 is when they finally toured on 86 to 98 record. So to like play this place that holds such a stronghold of like memory in my life, like I, you know, I joke that if nothing ever happened with this band after that, I'm fine with it almost. Like I do want to continue on obviously. And like we write music and do these things, but like in terms of having accomplished everything that I really want, like I, I'm feeling pretty good about it. You know, you play the nine inch nails, play the forum, like even just in this year alone, like it feels solid. Like obviously I'm using it or utilizing this inspiration to keep going, but it's such a, it's, it's wild. Like you can kind of do anything as long as you're a good person and put your mind to it. Love it. That's a great place to stop. Pre- I, I yeah. appreciate this conversation, Sarah. You're uh, I'm, I'm so glad I still know you after all these years. Yeah. Same, 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 same. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Sarah for coming on and thank you for listening. Reminder, there is a bonus episode available right now over on the Patreon where Sarah answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. Head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. All right. Take care. I will see you next Monday with a brand new radio hour. Take care. Bye bye.